Good morning. All right. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, thank you. Uh, I just had a lot of brothers this week. I don't know if it's, oh, actually, before I even get down that road, for new people, I'm the worship leader, not the normal preacher. So um, didn't want you to think like, good grief, man, he sings up there and he comes down here, you know, give somebody else a chance. Um, but I I only do this a few times a year. I'm grateful for it every time I get the opportunity. Uh, I have been a little more <laughs> somber about this one just due to the topic, but I did want to just make a note that, you know, I'm getting ready to come up on two years as the worship leader here, and I'm so grateful for that and uh, just thankful for uh, the people, but also thankful for the brothers this week who have um, just more so than normal just been praying for me, like not even just texting me saying, hey, I'm praying for you, but like praying for me. You know, we just in various situations, I found myself and being around people They're like, let's pray for Sam in the message Sunday. Let's pray for Sam in the message Sunday. And I'm like, Thank you, Lord, because this is a topic that we can't do justice to, just to be flat out honest with you. We can't do justice to it. And and I've actually taught on holiness before. I've done, I think even last, uh, our last Good Friday service, I did a devotion on holiness. I've preached on holiness before in the past, but there was just something different about this one. As it just kind of kept getting closer and closer, you'll see you just have lines <laughs> in your notes. A lot of times for the new people, we'll have like fill in the blank stuff, just have certain little things to kind of help you take notes. Today it's just lines. So sorry about that. But it was just as we were, as I was kind of drawing closer and closer to this day, it typically my, my mode, uh, is to, you know, I'll just kind of, start just dwelling on the topic and then just taking, you know, just taking random notes, throwing random notes in a, in a, in a note file. And, uh, and then scriptures just as scriptures come to me and, and just throwing them in there and just kind of collecting, if you will. And then typically the Lord will give me, cause I'm, I look, I hate to confess, I, I confess and, and I hate to admit it, but I love like three points. I know some people hate three points and that's okay, but I love three points. And I even go even further in the cheese route and go, I love three points that either rhyme or flow or start with the same letter or something like that. And it's because I really love teaching. And to me, if we just come up here and, you know, we open up the word and we give a, a you know, a message and you walk out going, well, that was good. You know, and then you just don't really think about it or dwell on it or really chew on it any throughout the rest of the week or your life, then it, it gets, it's kind of not as intended, if you will. So the, I love to teach. And, and so to me, doing those types of things just makes it more digestible. It makes it more memorable for me, not for everybody. So you don't get that cheese so much today. There might be a little of it in here, but, um, you don't have the notes. So if you are a note taker, please make sure that uh, you're keeping up. And if and if I run 90 miles an hour over something and you want me to repeat it, I am okay. I know there's a lot of people in here, but I'm okay if you say, hey, can you repeat that? Or something like that. So all good here. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is if you are here today and you don't have a copy of God's word, uh, we'd love to gift you with one. And so uh, if 
I, I don't know if we, I know we've got children's Bibles here, uh, but we have, do we, sometimes we'll have them on the altar, but if you need one right now, we can get you one, but especially by the end of the service, if you don't have one and you want one, we'd love to give you a gift of a copy of God's word. So, uh, stick around and let Nick or David or myself grab us or, or Kevin, you saw up here and we'll, we'll find some way to get you one. So, um, so with all that, I'm going back to the fact of just really appreciated the prayers this week because the topic of holy, the holiness of God is one that just, I mean, you cannot do justice. As I was drawing closer and closer to this, the weight of it this time around was just different. Uh, you know, not that I've ever taken it lightly. I never take, uh, teaching lightly at all. I take it very seriously. And, but it was just different. There was just a weight about it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I just wasn't looking forward to it. I was just like, Oh Lord, this is why me, <laughs> why me on the holiness of God? Uh, it's just one that simply cannot be done justice. No amount of time or words or, you know, our, our finite vocabulary just cannot capture what we need to properly describe the holiness of God. There's, there's no allegory, which I love, or illustrations, which I love, or, or anecdotes, I also love, um, <clears throat> that could just even remotely convey the holiness of God. But I want you to read here in Isaiah 40 verse 25. Hey, it's okay. <laughs> he knows that. Isaiah 40, verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. And it just, we're going to look at the holiness of God today as best we can. We're going to cover the topic as best we can. Kevin got a little uh, aggressive in his time. Uh, I don't think it's going to be 60 minutes. Uh, uh, amen. Praise the Lord. Um, but we will do our best to at least kind of cover the topic today. And my prayer is that somehow, some way it'll give us just a little better understanding and just a little bit more hunger to go deeper ourselves with the King of Kings to say, Lord, how unfathomable is your attribute of holiness? Teach me. Show me, take me to the places where I can see it. And thankfully, we have a couple of passages that give us at least a glimpse. And one through the eyes of John that was just read by Kevin in the passage. Uh, and then also in Isaiah, we'll look at that one a little later on. Uh, there's a passage in Isaiah that kind of gives us a glimpse to all of this. But, but I want us to go back to that passage Kevin read first. And, and just visualize this, this revelation of the throne room and all that's taken place there in Revelation chapter four. And you can turn back to it if you want to, but, but just, I really want you to picture this. And honestly, if you, if you even back up further, I almost sent the whole thing because it really gets crazy. There's rainbows and lights and everything like this, but we start off here and you know, you've got the throne that's just nowhere near anything like even the biggest tech budget could pull off. 
Like nothing could come close to producing this type of scene, if you will. I mean, just look at it, lightning and thunder and rumbling. And, and you know, thankfully, I don't see any fog mentioned here, Mike. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, we don't. It, it's, it's lightning and thunder and rumbling. And then you have these seven blazing torches representing the seven spirits of God. I mean, what is that? I, it's, it's just unreal. I, you know, and I promise you, these are not like the, uh, little citronella tiki torches, you know, you got out there. They, these aren't like seven little, little sticks with a little bit of flame on it. No, these are massive, white, hot, flaming fires. The hottest fire we could ever even conceive or imagine, way beyond it even. While at the same time, there's a sea of glass as smooth and clear as crystal. I mean, that is, that is just wild. And guess what? That's just the throne and the landscape. I mean, and, and like I said, there's more to it. I didn't even include it all. Then you've got these creatures come in and they have eyes all over them, which I don't even, I don't even understand. One looking like a lion. One looks like an ox. One looks like a man. And the fourth one, not just looks like an eagle, but an eagle in flight. How about that? And they finish up with all having six wings apiece. And their job, just like Kevin said earlier, is to proclaim the character and nature of God continually. Holy, holy, holy. Now, if I'm going to be honest, you know, <laughs> part of me wants to say, come on, John, because that's who wrote Revelation. Come on, John. I think all the persecution and failed murder attempts on your life, I mean, it's kind of giving you a little off on what you're seeing here. What in the world have, you know, what in the world have you gotten into? Uh, I, I mean, and seriously, if you really try to picture that scene, I can't even, I can't even really put it all together, especially the eyes. Like I can't wait to see that kind of, I think probably not, but I can't wait to see that. What does that even look like? Eyes all over them, all over these creatures. So we see that, but uh, we, we just have a hard time picturing what that scene would look like, much less what it would be like. But John does have a witness to corroborate his story. And, you know, not just a buddy that was with him, like not just one of the disciples like that walking with him, somebody thousands of years before him, actually. Anyone want to name him? I mentioned him earlier. Isaiah, that's right. So we've got, we've got somebody in here that's going to corroborate John's story and we read it in Isaiah chapter six, verses one through four. So if we'll turn there or you can write it down in your notes, I'm going to read it. But we see here, Isaiah sees a very similar thing. And here we go in verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Uh-oh, there's that fog. Mike, we're in trouble. I'm just kidding. No, but the house was filled with smoke. Get that. 
Isaiah's experience, it's not as descriptive. There are some, like, he, he describes some parts that, you know, John doesn't. John goes into way more detail than Isaiah does, but guess what? The, the main thing is what you are seeing. The same being still being there and their same message. Holy, holy, holy is our God. How awesome is that? You know, the scripture talks about things being established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Well, here is our two witnesses right here. We've got John in the New Testament. We've got Isaiah in the Old Testament. That is just so cool to me. I love those kind of things, how they line up. Sometimes we can look at the Bible as, oh, you know, these 66 books, someone just sat down and wrote all of them from, you know, start to finish. And it's like just this one timeline thing. And we forget that, oh my goodness, here's John on the Isle of Patmos just getting just amazing visions of the Lord and and the kindness of the Lord showing him that. But then we go way back and Isaiah's going, yeah, I saw it too. I, you know, I bet they're up there going, can you believe that? And, you know, oh, there it is. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where the, our history, our, our family, if you will, our family history lines up and supports one another. And here's just one of those aspects that's just so cool to me when we see the testimony of two witnesses bearing the same vision and what an awesome vision it is. Now I do want to spend just a moment on the use of repetition here because this was a common way to place emphasis on extremely important items. It It's how like what we would use today, like italics or bold, we bold something we want somebody's eyes to be drawn to or, or highlight it you know, something like that, or maybe use exclamation points at the end. You know, I'm a, I'm a big exclamation pointer. I use like three all the time. And and so it kind of loses its value, but you get the point that repetition, that's how they used what they did in their writings to emphasize a point. Typically we see the word or phrase being used twice. One example, you know, we see like the double emphasis used a lot in the book of John. I mean, like you go to the book of John and Jesus is saying truly, truly a lot or verily, verily based on the translation you have, uh, truly, truly means the same truly, truly. And Jesus would emphasize several of his messages in John by saying truly, truly. And that's like to say, uh, for all you kids out there. It's not just like to say for real, but for real, real. Okay. That's what he's saying. And he's like, I want to hammer down on this. I want you to focus in on this. I want to highlight it, exclamation point, bold it, italicize, whatever you got to do. They used repetition to emphasize the point. But typically it was just twice. So a repetition of three times was the ultimate emphasis. Like that's, that was like, we're not just trying to emphasize it. We're trying to emphasize it to the maximum, like as, as high as we can emphasize it. And it only happens a few times in scripture. So I wanted to kind of point those out. You can write these references down and look at them later, but Jeremiah seven, verse four, Jeremiah uses it to emphasize the danger that people were placing on the temple of the Lord without regard to his ways and his presence. 
uh, I'll just read it real quick. Seven, four says, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So he says that three times. And what he's trying to do is emphasize the fact, Hey, don't go around. Hey, this is the temple of the Lord. Don't go saying that you're living an idolatrous lifestyle and you're trying to live in two worlds here. You're still trying to cling to some of the tradition of your religion by saying this is the temple of the Lord. But the Lord used Jeremiah to make sure they understood that was not going to achieve the desired outcomes. They couldn't just kind of go, hey, this is the temple of the Lord, you know, and and then go and worship Molech or Baal. Wasn't going to happen. So he uses it there as a three-time emphasis to draw attention to the fact of of kind of misperceptions or misunderstandings. Then we also see it again in Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. So you can write that one down. Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. The messenger here is emphasizing the dread that falls to those on the earth at the final trumpets being blown. A lot of end time references already today, but this is one of those. <clears throat> and and uh, so I'm going to read it here. Verse uh, Revelation 8, verse 13. It says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now that's not stop. That's not stop, stop, stop. Like we use woe. You know, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll, I'll say that uh, a lot with my kids. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, stop that. You know, kind of thing. This is a, a, we, we don't even really, we don't have a word that would totally translate to the woe that means what means here. It is, it is grief. Um, the Yiddish, which are kind of a, a Jewish sect, they'll say, oy vey. They'll still use that today. You may have heard that before. Oy vey. It's like, woe is me. And, and this is a, this is a woe that is heavy and serious. And like I said, I don't think we have a real good word that translates today for what it really meant, the depth of what it was trying to emphasize. So when you see it three times, it's really, really bad. Like it's, it's, it's really serious to give you an idea. So seven trumpets. And, and what he's saying is, whoa, whoa, whoa to the final three. So four trumpets have already been blown. And, and those four trumpets, they just get one woe. <laughs> they get one woe every time it's blown. Like they'll blow and then a woe, blow and a woe. So, uh, hey, y'all can remember that. I just, like that just happened. It's a teaching thing. It just came out. Blow. Wait a minute. Trumpet blow. Never mind. You got it, hopefully, cause I've lost it already. Um, but anyway, so, so these, these three, uh, the four trumpets that have already been blown, I mean, they brought things like serious hail and wildfires over a third of the earth, mountains crumbling down all around people, shipwrecks that are happening, a third of the sea turned to blood and a third of the sea creatures dying and a third of the ships were destroyed. Like that's serious meteors falling to the earth and contaminating water and a third of the light. And when I say light, I mean sun, moon, and stars being dimmed. But those four trumpets, all of that happening, only had one woe, a piece. The final three get greatly emphasized with woe, 
whoa, whoa. I'll let you read on for yourself if you're curious. If you're scared like me, I'll just, you know, I may come back to it later when I've got, you know, some friends around me to help encourage me. But, but it's serious. Like if you read on, it's crazy. Uh, so if you just think of how, how much more it's trying to emphasize the last three trumpets. So we see repetition is their way of emphasis. Here is the really interesting piece though. The only other time a triple emphasis is used is also the only attribute of God that is emphasized to this magnitude. How awesome is that? Holy, holy, holy. So it stands to reason that we should really pay attention to this attribute of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. Now I also have some observations and stepping out. I'm not going to give you a chapter and verse here. So hear that. It's an observation. I also wonder if it's for the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When they say holy, 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 they're emphasizing it, yes. But I think it's cool that they have three holies for our triune God. That's a little side note. Won't charge you extra for that. Um, But we see here that it's really trying to emphasize the holiness of God. So let's dig a little deeper and I pray that he'll put in all of us, like even myself, a desire to really dig even deeper beyond this. Cause again, we're not going to be able to scratch the surface here, but let's, let's start digging just a little bit deeper into the holiness of God and his nature characterized by the holiness of God, both in Isaiah's and revelations. Holy, holy, holy. They are describing to God a word that conveys. So the word being holy. So they're ascribing to God a word. And this word conveys that our God is holy in that he is infinitely transcendent. He is infinitely transcendent. That means other than. He is infinitely other than. He is infinitely set apart. He is infinitely way beyond our comprehension. We cannot fully grasp the transcendent, holy nature of our God. Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? You know, we've talked about in recent weeks, you know, that that verse that talks about his ways are so much higher than our ways. An ant standing at the edge of the widest part of the Grand Canyon would not even begin to tell the vastness of our holy, transcendent God. He is so much other than us. He is so much beyond us. The word also is conveying that our God is holy and that he is infinitely immaculate. So he's infinitely transcendent. He is infinitely immaculate. That means purer than. That means flawless, uncontaminated, not a drop. You know, we had potluck last week and, you know, I think we brought brownies. So like, what if, what if somebody came up and they were all gone? So somebody enjoyed them. What if they came up to Laurie's like, Hey, you cooked those brownies. That was great. And she goes, you know, thank you so much. 
you know, a rat only crawled across over half of them and I was able to pick out the droppings and everything. So, you know, it was a win-win, no big deal. Would you then go, oh dear, what have I eaten? You know, and you start feeling a little sick, even though it's probably a week ago that it happened. No, you would. And, and if somebody handed you one that said the same thing, would you eat that? Even if it looked like a perfectly fine brownie, you couldn't get past that. But the Lord is so much purer, so much more uncontaminated, so much more flawless. Job 15, 14 through 15 says, what is man that he can be pure? Or who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones and the heavens are not pure in his sight. So he's saying, look, that, that just shows you the, the, the infinite purity that our God has in his holiness. There's no amount of bleach. There's no amount of detergent or refining fire to purify anything close to the purity of our holy Immaculate God. Amen. One more. One more word here. So this holy, 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 the word is conveying that our God is holy and that he is infinitely resplendent. You don't have to write down those first words. I just love flowery words. Resplendent. That just means he's better than. He's infinitely better than anything else or anyone else. He's infinitely more magnificent than anything else or anyone else. And yes, we say that. Yes, we nod when we hear that. We even sing about it and worship and we'll read the scriptures that talk about it and and we'll go, "Mm, yeah, mm, yeah. But I mean, we can't really fully grasp the infiniteness of how awesome and how much better than, and how much more magnificent he is than anything else or anyone else. Revelation 15, three, you can write that down as a reference and I'm going to read it here. It says, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying great and amazing are your deeds. Some versions say great and marvelous are your works kind of prefer that line better, but great and amazing are your deeds. Oh Lord, God, the almighty just and true are your ways. Oh King of the nations. So, I mean, just amazing, so much greater than so much more amazing are his deeds. He is the Lord God, the almighty. He is just and true in everything he does. He is so much better than Whatever awesome thing you could kind of formulate in your mind right now, whether it's the most awesome vacation you could think of or the most awesome job or the most awesome, you know, thing that could happen to you, whatever you could imagine, it cannot compare to our holy resplendent God. Church, it hit, it hit me hard. Like I said earlier, preparing for this message and realizing Just flat out, we need more awareness of the holiness of God. I need more awareness of the attributes specifically of the holiness of our God. But I'm also going to be honest with you. I don't really want it most of the time. I don't. 
And it's because of what it initially results in. Isaiah had a rude awakening. You know, we've read part of that passage where it bore witness with John's. I'm going to read a little bit more here. Isaiah had a rude awakening when it happened for him. As when he got that vision of God's holiness. We'll keep reading here in Isaiah 6 verse 5. He says, and I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That wasn't a, that wasn't a warm fuzzy up and down his spine. I'll just give you a, a quick story. I, when I was a youth pastor many, many years ago, many years ago, um, at another church, uh, not even close by, well, kind of close by, but I was teaching and I was actually teaching on this passage, this passage in Isaiah. And, and, and I talked about how Isaiah responded when he saw the Lord and how that's kind of foreign to us. And I had a mom raise her hand right in the middle of my teaching. And she goes, well, Sam, I, don't really experience him or her. And now this is like over 20 years ago. I don't really experience him or her that way. And I'm like, I'm in the midst of teaching the the Bible study to the youth. And I go, okay, back to my Bible study. You know, I just, I didn't know how to respond. I, I was blown away that she was like, I don't really respond to that. I don't really, you know, the God I interact with doesn't really ever treat me that way. Or I don't really ever react that way to the God. And I was like, okay, but let's look back at, you know, the God of the Bible and, and see how Isaiah responded, you know, and just kind of went on from there. But it was a, it was an eye opener to me because I realized at that moment, we don't rightly grasp the holiness of our God. And that brings us to this week's life truth. So for new people here, if you're taking notes, typically you'll have the life truth in your bulletin and it'll have some blanks for you just fill in one, two words. So I'll repeat this, but, but our life truth this week, truth this week is when you see the Lord in his holiness, you will see yourself in your wretchedness. When you see the Lord in his holiness, you will see yourself in your wretchedness. You cannot put a purebred stallion beside a worn down pack mule and not realize right off the bat, these are two different breeds. Or another instance, uh, get a little more personal. I, I wear, uh, I wear white undershirts. Uh, you know, pretty much most of the time, pretty much all the time. I started when I had to wear, you know, like button downs for golf shirts and for my job. So, uh, I started just getting a pack and I get about a pack once a year a new pack. And when I go to put the new ones on my shelf in the closet with the old ones, I'm always amazed. I've done it now for years and I'm always amazed because the white t-shirts that I had been wearing that I thought were still white. When I put those brand new ones right beside it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I, you know, you don't realize it. You see, I mean, they were white up until I put the brand new ones right beside them. 
And then you see like, oh my goodness, they're not really, they've kind of gotten worn out and it's good that I buy a new pack each year. <laughs> so um, it, it's just funny, but that's one example that we see. The white t-shirts, uh, you know, can just look different. I can't even, I can't even believe how much different they look to one another. The new ones are so much wider. But what I'm trying to say with that is we don't realize the condition of our heart when we're not looking to the standard of our holy, holy, holy God. We don't really grasp it. We think we're doing okay. We think we're doing all right. And that's okay. Sometimes we are. I don't want you to misunderstand me here, though. Isaiah was not a bad guy. He, it, 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 and you know, he didn't just show up in the wrong place at the wrong time in the presence of the Lord, you know, as he was out about to go rob a bank and, you know, pillage and, and whatever the village uh, that he was close to, you know, you know, it, this wasn't like something he was on his way to do the bad stuff because he's a bad dude. And then all of a sudden the Lord grabbed him. Paul could say that, but, uh, but he loved the Lord. He was serving the Lord. He was serving him diligently when this took place. But all good, even godly things Isaiah had done up to that point did not keep him from realizing it was nothing compared to the holiness of our God. Even by the end of Isaiah. So that happened at the beginning, you know, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Well, that happened in chapter six, you know, early on in Isaiah. Well, by the end of Isaiah, chapter 64 Verse 6, if you want to write that down. Chapter 64, verse 6, Isaiah reads this way. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Well, that's a uplifting verse, isn't it? And that's, a, that's one you want to put on your mirror every morning and just get you going for the day. But it's true. It's true. Do you realize he had walked a life of of in the presence of the Lord, of relationship with God, of doing and obeying God. And he still had that, you know, like, you know, no matter what, as long as we're in this body, this earthly body, you know, we can, we have a process of sanctification as believers. We grow closer and closer to the Lord. We begin as the, as the new Testament tells us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That is, that is how we grow in the Lord. And that's the, that's the process of sanctification. But we got to realize when we see the Lord in his holiness, whoo, gets a little rough at that. <laughs> gets a little rough at first. Y'all, we want the giggles and the goosebumps in the presence of the Lord. We want that. And I do too. I love those times. Those are great. But seldom do we weep over our sin before a holy God. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one and done. Hey, I prayed the sinner's prayer and now I'm, I'm good to go. I'm going to go live my life now. God, if you need me, I'm here, but I'm just going to go do my thing and, and be done with it. That's not it. That's not how it works. Some of us, myself included, seldom weep over our sin before our holy God. And it shows. It shows in the fruit of our lives. When we see him in his holiness and we see our wretchedness, we have one of two responses, typically. 
we'll typically go into defense mode or we go into repent mode like Isaiah did. Defense mode. What's that like? I need encouragement. I need to feel better about myself. I have enough stress and feelings of inadequacy in my life throughout the week. I don't need that from God too. There are plenty of charlatans out there ready to accommodate your itching ears if that's you. I have to, I have to catch myself so I'm not leaning towards that because we all want to be encouraged and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying, but I got to emphasize this today. Okay. Y'all with me? I've got to emphasize this today. We'll get in defense mode. I'm actually going to steal a, you can tell her uh, I did this. I'm going to steal uh, a perfect biblical example of defense mode uh, that I, that Tamara used in our prayer time this morning. She used, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden. Hey, guess what? They got busted. They were in the presence of the Lord and the Lord asked them, Hey, where are y'all? What's going on? Oh yeah. You know, we were naked. So we clothed it. Well, who told you? Well, Hey, that lady you gave me, she, uh, she gave me, and then, well, Hey, that, that serpent, he told me, you know, they start getting defense. Hey, not my fault. I, I was just here minding my own business. You know, you get in that defense mode. They were in the presence of the Lord and they thought they could pull one over on him. My word, how arrogant are we? So that defense mode, or we get into repent mode. We can realize with Isaiah as I read it again, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But please don't think I'm saying that that's where we stay. Okay. Hear me on this. Because when you have that kind of encounter and you respond as Isaiah did, the Lord is quick to respond. We keep reading there in Isaiah. So we pick back up in Isaiah chapter 6. We're reading verses 6 and 7 now. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I'm about to get, I don't know, but church, I'm just going to guarantee you, 100% guarantee that some of the things we're wrestling with over and over again, some of the things we just can't get, you know, done or over or finished or, you know, defeated or, you know, overcome some of those things we wrestle with over and over again, they will be incinerated by the fire of his holy presence. If we'll just seek him, if we'll just get in his presence before the holiness of our God, and it's not going to feel good at first. I'm pretty sure if somebody, you know, from the back, if I said, woe is me, I'm undone. And then I see, you know, Somebody running from the back with a hot coal and a tongue about, you know, coming right at me. I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to run the other way. I'm going to get out of there. What are you doing with that thing? And much less when I see them approaching my face with it and they want to touch my mouth. Are you kidding me? Defense mode coming up, you know? So hey, we've got to realize it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. 
it's not going to be good at first. But it will set us free. It really will. What we think is going to harm us, maybe even kill us, actually sets us free. As with most aspects of the Christian walk, there is, there's, you know, always that dichotomy of walking in holiness that takes work to stay there. So there is an aspect of holiness. God makes us holy. There's really not a whole lot we can do in that sense. It's God. He, he touches us. He makes us holy. It, you know, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are made holy. You are holy at that point. But then there's, that dichotomy that we always see in the Christian walk of, but we are called to walk in holiness, but we are called to work even to stay in a, in a sense, in a presence of holiness. We can walk in a state of abiding in Jesus through his Holy spirit living in us and through us to bear the holiness of our great God for his glory. And not even on just for his glory, but to minister that holiness to others. You realize, like even the worship team, I try to encourage them that, look, you, you are, you have a leadership role for the fellowship. Your role is to look to the Lord, to love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, to, to look upon and gaze upon his beauty, to worship him in spirit and in truth, and in turn lead all of us into his presence, into uh, you know, into that work of loving him through song. So we can bear holiness to others. Walking in holiness takes work though, but it yields a communion with the Lord. You're not otherwise going to attain. There is a level of communion. I'm not talking about salvation here. This is not a salvation issue. I'm talking about communion with the Lord. It's not otherwise attained. There's an aspect of holiness that precedes an aspect of his presence. And we see it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So how do we strive in holiness? Well, a key part of that is confessing and repenting as we saw Isaiah do. When we get, when we get into that presence of the Lord and His holiness just begins to overwhelm us and overcome us, we don't shrink back. We don't run away. We confess. We repent. We do not hide our darkness. We expose it. When we get in those situations, those times, it's typical we want to kind of shrink back and cover up and, you know, hey, that's, uh, you know, I don't want people to see that that's how I am, or I don't want people to know I, you know, have that issue. Do not hide your darkness. Expose it. Confess it. Hate it. Bring it to the light. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14, it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them 
For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Our holiness is realized by our union and fellowship with Jesus. Our, our holiness, that's how we work on our holiness, is our, un, our union, our communion, our fellowship with Jesus, abiding in him and he abiding in us. First John 1, 7, I'm almost done here. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We got to bring it to the light, expose it. That's hard to do. And I don't mean, you know, I don't know if you, I'm aging myself here, but it's not like the Mississippi squirrel revival. Uh, if you've ever seen that song, uh, it, you know, where you don't have to jump up and start hollering and, and naming out all your sins in front of everybody, but you do need to have a core group that you're willing and able and can trust that will stand with you and fight and not judge you or, you know, shun you and fight beside you and pray with you and hold you accountable and walk with you through it. That fellowship is critical. But when we walk in the fellowship of the blood of Jesus, cleanses us from sin. When we do that, we will walk different. We will talk different. We will act different. We can do all those things and not be abiding in Jesus. So let me go ahead and get that out there and out of the way. But but if we are abiding in Jesus, we will walk different. We will talk different. We will act different. Our fellowship with Jesus breeds true holiness within us. And as you walk that out, others will react to it, guaranteed. David talked about persecution in, in, uh, in the prayer time there. But people will react. As you begin to walk out your holiness, people will react to it. Some good. Some will actually be encouraged and strengthened and, and you know, hey, that, that's, that was the kick in the pants I needed to, to get me going. But some bad. I don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, it was said of George Whitfield. He was a powerful evangelist used by God during the Great Awakening of the 1700s. A little history lesson. But that he sometimes would simply walk by a group of folks. Like, he even because he, he eventually grew in popularity because God was using him so mightily. And so they were, he was taking a tour through the a factory. Some factory owner got saved at one of his meetings. and was like, hey, I want to come show you, you know, what I do. And as he was walking through the factory, people would just fall and begin confessing their sins and repenting. He didn't, I mean, I don't even know if he nodded at him like good morning or anything, but that, that's what would happen. And that, that happened on a few occasions. So it was pretty wild. And, you know, obviously he would, you know, return to him and pray with him. And, and the Lord did a great work in their lives. But what you, I want you to see here is true holiness is not condescending. True holiness is not condescending, but it is exposing. And sometimes that can feel condescending when we react, you know, when we react to it. Our, our flesh wants to rise up to it. You know, sometimes we'll use a phrase like, well, that, they're just being holier than thou, you know, kind of get that attitude thrown out there. And sometimes they might be, but true holiness does not condescend. But true holiness will bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we've talked a lot about the holiness of God. I want to reiterate, 
We have yet to scratch the surface of this. I did not do it justice today. Did not. But may the Lord stir within our hearts and that we would go and and on our own start exploring the Scriptures, start seeking the Lord, start crying out to God in prayer and worship, saying, God, give us a greater revelation of your holiness. And that's my call to you today. Uh, as the worship team makes their way up, I like saying that. I'm not going to make my way up yet, though. Um, but that's my call to you today. Ask the Lord for eyes to see him in the splendor of his holiness. But be willing to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting when you do. I'm going to say that one more time. Ask the Lord for eyes to see him in the splendor of his holiness. Now, some of you today, even as we worship, if you're here, just begin to worship the Lord. If you're not sure how to respond, just begin to worship the Lord. I'll call the prayer partners. I'm not sure who they are. Hopefully you do. Uh, prayer partners, you'll come up and, and be over here. David, do you want to do your thing over here on the right side? Or are you good? Oh, oh, you're a prayer partner? Okay. All right. So, um, it, as you worship or as, as we're entering into worshiping through song and the Lord begins to stir in you and you start catching a glimpse of holiness, the holiness of our God, and you start getting stirred to respond to it, but you're not sure exactly what to do. You're not sure exactly what it is. Then come up here and, and these guys will be more than happy to pray with you and help you. Maybe it's you don't even know the Lord. So you have no concept of his holiness. And, and I pray right now that the Holy spirit will convict you right where you are. Open your eyes to the truth of the gospel and begin to prick your heart and, and, and show you your need of a savior that you need to be saved and that you would respond and call out to Jesus and he will save you. I'm going to close with this quote from Timothy Keller. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I'm going to read it one more time and then we'll be done. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared Please respond to the Lord today.